Today's reading comes from Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and her colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say to them, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before them and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is God's word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sister. You may be seated. If you are in need of a Bible, feel free to raise your hand and we will get one to you. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we delight in your ways. We get a chance to celebrate you today, and we want to do that. But we know celebration with, that is not uh, breathed on by your spirit, Lord, does not bring you joy. So aid us, empower us, allow us to be able to bring you joy, Lord, through your spirit working within us. The spirit work through my tongue as I speak. Would also work in the hearts and ears of our people as they hear. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It must be uh, pretty important. If you were to give some of your life, give some of your week, give some of your day to do something, it probably is pretty important. I mean, many of you serve on organizations. Maybe you serve uh, on the board of a nonprofit. Maybe you like to coach, as we're going to have soccer coming up soon, you know. Maybe you uh, love volunteering at an arts program. If you gave a little bit of each week, every week of the year, towards something, it probably is a little important to you. You probably care about it to give some of your time. If I made a request of you and asked you to, to give me three days of your week every week, Four days of your week every week, man, this better be pretty, it better be pretty important. God looks at his people and he says to the people of Israel, I have something that I want you to do for the rest of your life. Not just for one year, not just when you become saved. I actually have something I want you to do for the rest of your life. And it flows out of the sermon that we were in last week. It's this concept of Passover, this concept that that I have saved you. I have allowed a miracle to take place where in showing Egypt the power that I possess, I'm also showing you the grace that I possess. So we see in chapter 12 of Exodus, God says this. 
He says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute my judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over and no plague will befall you, destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Hear me here. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Thanks, babe. Throughout your generations as a statute forever. As a statute forever throughout the generations, you shall keep this as a feast. So this idea of something that the people of Israel have to do every year for the rest of their lives that they're going to communicate to their kids is how we enter into our text for today. It's how we enter into Matthew chapter 21. Because you see, the people of God needed to go to Israel to worship and celebrate God because of Passover. Because of Passover. And Passover is this time where everybody gets together. It's almost like it's like your family reunion on steroids, okay? You got people that, that are from one lineage, but people have spread out all over. You got some family that's over in Cali, some folks in Texas, but when a family reunion takes place at Big Ma's house, you know, no matter where you went, it's time to get back. And so now what's happening is God is saying for generations, I don't care where you go, I don't care what you do. You are to remember my gracious hand upon your people, upon you, because I love you. And so now you need to come to the temple. You got to come to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is like New York City. I mean, it's, it's thriving. It's hustling and bustling. It's a life here that's happening all the time. But during Passover, it's like New York on New Year's Day. You know, you got people from everywhere descending upon this place because they're coming to celebrate. It's time all year. I've been looking forward to this. I can't wait to get my new year resolution started. You know, that that type of hope, that anticipation. This is what people are bringing as they're coming to Jerusalem saying, I've got sacrifices that need to be made on behalf of my family. I'm going to join in with people all over the world and come and praise him. Brother, I'm just going to let this one go. And so people are coming to the temple. And now you come to the temple, but you can't just come into the temple. You can't just come to Jerusalem just any old kind of way. It's not about your character. It's not about your background. It's about how clean you are. So now in order to enter into the temple, you got to be clean, all right? And now there's a few things that can disqualify you from being clean. One of them is burying people. You can have a death in the family, a part of the natural life cycle. But death in the family is something that you can't go from a funeral into the temple. This is a holy God. And he says, there is blemish that's upon you, okay? Okay. The, the intimacy of a man and a woman, a, a husband and wife. Got to go through a, a process of purification. A sister during her normal cycle of the year. 
would disqualify you from entering the temple. Not that you're morally unclean, but that physically there's a process you got to go through. It's almost like if I, if I had Caleb and Jenny at the door and I'm like, because I got Jenny at the door to, to be the muscle. So I got them at the door and every time you come to church, they're doing a smell test on you. Sorry, brother. You don't make the cut this week. You got to go home. You got to go clean yourself. Some of us in here like, wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, can, can you imagine if it, was, if it was that type of system in place before you could enter into the place of worship? Well, it was. And so people are leaving their homes beforehand to get to Jerusalem so they could spend a week going through a purification process. A week of saying, Lord, I do want to come into your presence, but I recognize that throughout life, there's some stuff that may have taken place. Whether it's my fault or not, doesn't matter. I want to come and be made clean so that now as I enter into this time of worship, I can do so restored. I can do so whole. I can do so without any hindrance. So as we look at chapter 21, Verse one is it says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem, that's everybody drawing near. I want you to get this image of 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 you going to work and, you know, and, and you work in downtown. And as you leave your house, you're driving and then a couple other cars join you and more cars join. And as you're descending upon downtown, before you know it, it's rush hour traffic getting in. It's that type of idea where people are picking up. Picking up and there's more momentum, more momentum that's leading to this place. And now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie with them, uh, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. It's just a, a, a quick image, a quick example of God always requiring his people to be people of faith. All right. People of faith, because he's telling us this is this is happening in a real world situation. So there's something that I need. I'm going to need a coat. I'm going to need a donkey. But guess what? When I send you to go get it, is it going to be standing, you know, on a platform by itself saying, come grab me? No. It's going to be tied up, which means somebody owns it, which means real talk. That's like today me saying, hey, Justin, I need you to go get a car. By the way, it's Alex's car. <laughs> this, this is a step of faith where you got to go out. You have to do this. And by the way, guess what? Somebody could even come up to you and say, what you doing with my donkey? But yet I'm sending you. I'm still telling you to go. And I, and I know we get the beauty here of also God saying, well, if anyone says anything to you, just say to them, the Lord needs them. And the person will give it up. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if every time the Lord says something to you, he told you how it was going to work out in the end? You know, look, man, you know, I, I know I'm asking you to take a pay cut. I know I'm asking you to, you know, Go ahead and leave this job that seems to have the great stability. Everybody loves you. But over here, there's people who need to know the Lord. And guess what? In the end of the day, 
you're going to end up buying and owning a company. Go for it. Be great if it always worked out. You know, be great if we always knew the end, the end result. But God does give us an end result now. He says, I'm not going to tell you how it's going to work out. I'm actually going to tell you something even greater. I will be with you. I will be with you. So now as I'm asking you to people to go as the people that are sent of God, as I'm asking you to go out, is how it's going to work out. You don't even need to worry about that. All you need to know is I am with you. And so here we see an example of God telling the disciples to go. I need you to get a cult for me. Yeah, you might run into some people, but don't worry. Tell them I need it. Still going to require a, a, a step of faith for us. But then we move on to, 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 to verses four and five. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coat, the fold of a beast of burden. So who is this prophet that is referring to? The prophet is Zechariah. And Zechariah, he's kind of, he's kind of, he's, a, he's an Old Testament prophet, but his book is small, but it's been kind of quoted as the most messianic uh, book that we have of the Old Testament. I mean, he's just making allusion after allusion to, man, get ready. There's going to be a king that comes, and none of these kings on earth can compare. Okay? He's going to be a king that comes in all beauty, all truth. He's going to be a king that comes, and he will be the true Messiah. You see, Messiah, the, the, that, the, this term Messiah uh, has to do with one that's been anointed. Okay, one that is, has, has been anointed by God. And so this term Messiah, you can equate with who Jesus is. In the New Testament, uh, it's just like you saying Jesus Christ, like Christ itself, you can equate that to being Messiah. Okay, so, so people are not, Christ wasn't his last name. Just to just make sure we're on the same page. Actually, it's, it's like a title of you saying Jesus, our Messiah. So now we're being taught, being shown that we're going to behold him as our king, as our king. Now, he flips the understanding of what it means to be a king. And, and throughout this entire text, as we, celebrate, um, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, the goal is for us to see him as a holy Messiah, but also see this Messiah is going to approach things differently. He's not going to conduct himself as every other king has. So, for instance... How many of you would someday love to, to, to hold a business, to own a business? A couple hands. Some folks are like, I don't want to be in charge of nobody. <laughs> I get it. You know, imagine if you're a business owner and, and you someday say, hey, I'm, I've got 20 people that I'm in charge of. I'm ordering a meeting. I want everyone at the meeting. Got to tell you guys something. You come into the meeting. Nobody's present. Don't I own a business? Wait a minute. What? I mean, you, you would get a little bit angry, a little bit frustrated. The, the king during these eras would come to town, okay? The 
The king would come into town. Can you imagine if a king comes in to a, to a, a community, to a society, to people that he's in control of, and no one shows up on the streets? No praise. You, you didn't have the freedom, the option to say, you know what, not going to serve the king today. King comes in town, everybody better be there. Let it be quiet. Heads my role. Legitimately, literally, heads my role. I mean, it, you are ordered to come and celebrate. But notice how Jesus does it. As a king, he doesn't come forcing the people to give him praise. He comes as a king that doesn't necessarily want the praise of our lips first. He wants the praise from our hearts. Not out of forceful habit, but out of a willing submission. So this king, he's going to come in a procession, but not like the procession of the king's prior. It's going to be so, so different. It's going to be the, the people's choice. But he's coming humble. As it says, your king is coming to you humble. There's this, 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 this concept that it's tough for us to understand because humility is one where you have all the power and all the intelligence and ability to beat anybody in the room, yet you stay chill back. Nobody has to know how much power you have. You, you hold it back and you use your intelligence, you use your platform, you use your skill set when it's needed, but you don't need to flaunt it. Sense of humility. There's this, uh, this man named uh, Tim Hansel, and he tells this story of Samuel Morris. And Samuel Morris created the telegraph. All right. Now, if you have a cell phone today, you have a cell phone, and that's a means of communication where we didn't always have telephones in the whole nine. So this is the precursor for what we have modern day. It says this. It says, uh, the famous inventor Samuel Morris, who was once asked if he ever encountered situations where he didn't know what to do, Morris responded, more than once. And whenever I could not see my way clearly, I knelt down and I prayed to God for light and understanding. He received many honors from his inventions of the telegraph, but felt undeserving. He said, I've made a valuable application of electricity, not because I was superior to other men, but solely because God, who meant it for mankind, must reveal it to someone. And he was pleased to reveal it through me. A statement of great humility, you know, that this wasn't my own my own doing. But this man, this man who was extremely humble, also during the 1850s, was an advocate for slavery. He was also anti-Catholic and anti-immigration and was a political leader in the, New York, in the city of New York. Why do I bring up this contrast? Because what the Bible kind of tries to show us over and over and over again is that the greatest man, the most humble man, is still a man of sin. And so while I have selected kings to represent me, at some point, I myself as God will need to enter into your humanity, enter into this world and be a king who is without any sin. 
so that when you see my humility, you will know it is a humility that is without blemish, a humility that you can truly trust in. This king is like a king that we've never experienced before, a humility that we've never experienced before. But I don't know about you, but when I saw that the king of great power, of great might, came riding in on a donkey, that threw me. A, a, a donkey, like, can we get a Cadillac? What about a tank? Like, come on, you're supposed to be the king of power. But see, there's, there's, there's a backdrop, there's a story that, that, that when a king does come in, when a procession does happen and this king comes with power and might, the season that the society is in dictates what they ride on. So if we're in a season of war, then you come in on a horse, come in on a stallion, you come in showing your power. But if it's a season of peace, you come in on a donkey. And so see what Jesus was was communicating to the people even during that day is I know you want me to come in and take over. I know you want me to rule with a strong arm, with a mighty fist. But actually, the way that I'm coming to rule is in your hearts. And what I'm coming to usher in is not a kingdom of power to dominate, but a kingdom of peace. So he comes in riding on a donkey. Now, in verse six, the disciples went and did just as Jesus has directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and the others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. Cloaks, these cloaks, it's, it's like a, almost imagine uh, uh, a big like a piece of garment that's almost like a raincoat, but no arms. Just you just put it over yourself, tie it up at the top, and it'll stay there. And it's to protect you from the outer elements, all right? I mean, don't, don't, don't go to the Batman type thing, but, you know, just think of it as like a cape almost, cover you up. Now, the, the, the image, though, is one not simply of, of this being the garment that protects me from all elements. And so now as I take off this garment and I submit it at your feet, I'm fully exposed. Okay. You can have, you can have that imagery, but it's primarily one to demonstrate honor. It's primarily an act of demonstrating honor to say, I fully respect you. In uh, second Kings, we see an example of this in second Kings chapter nine, verses one through 13. The background is uh, Jehu, who is the son of Jehoshaphat. He's, he's an army commander, all right? He's sitting as an army commander, and uh, Elisha sends forth a young boy and says, young boy, you're going to anoint the next king, all right? The young boy, he goes and finds Jehu. Jehu is kicking it with all his boys, the commanders, and then the young boy comes in and says, I need you. He says, well, can't you just tell us all what you need me for? No, I need you. I need to talk to you separately. Pulls him outside the group and says, the Lord says that I am to anoint you king over Israel. So he sits there. He anoints him. And then he leaves. And Jehu goes back to his group. He comes back to the crew. 
And the crew's sitting there like, hey, what happened? What, what, what took place? What did the boy want? Oh, nothing. No. No. We know he wanted something. Elisha doesn't just send a boy into our crew. We are commanders of the army. <laughs> what did he want? And he says, thus says the Lord, he's anointed me king over Israel. Verse 13 says this. It says, then in haste, every man of them took off his garment, put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. This taking off of the cloak, it's, it's the image that, whoa, wait a minute, I am now in the presence of royalty. Things have just changed. We're no longer peers. We're no longer comrades. You are highly exalted, and I want to show you that I exalt you by showing my place, my king, my cloak. It's a, it's a, a, a powerful display of God being a God of all authority and the people saying, his disciples saying, we want to honor you as such. But then the palm branches and, and it's more clearly laid out as palm branches in John. We see uh, this palm Sunday, this palm reflection. You see it actually in every gospel. All right. So it's, it's, it's definitely a, an important theme to remember. But but it's it's almost as if you're saying, like, we want to give you the red carpet treatment. All right. Now, I don't know about everybody, but if you're riding through the hood, you're riding through, you know, downtown and you see a place lit up and they have like the real red carpet laid out. I ain't talking about that fake red carpet, you know, not like, you know, red notebook paper on the floor. I'm talking about like that soft red carpet. You know, you, 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 I don't know, maybe it's just me. I pause sometime and I'm like, what is happening over there? What, what is going on? Who's going to be attending that? You know, there, there's this idea of, of for, for special people. We lay out everything, you know, even from the point of them entering into the experience. We want to let them know that we value you. We celebrate you. We exalt you. You see, the, the same is taking place with these palm branches. People are breaking them, tearing them and laying them before Christ's feet as a way to show you our royalty. We want to make clear that we celebrate you. But it actually doesn't, it doesn't just stop there. It actually ties into history as well as ties into the future. Okay, because Solomon took palm branches and he engraved palm branches in the walls of the temple to show God's beautiful wisdom. Okay, so there's an image that, that there is one who is wise that's above all of us. And one of the ways that that is reflected and illustrated is through palm branches. But if you have a moment, also, would you turn to Revelations chapter 7? Revelations chapter 7. And the reason why I had you turn there is because... uh, in, in that chapter, I think it starts with verse 9, 
you see, uh, depending on what type of Bible you have, it'll have a, 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 a title over that section. What's that? Anybody? What's that title say? Multitudes from the nations. Okay. So this, this is a, a, an image of all people from all over the world being together. Okay. And Jenny, you can start passing out those, those, uh, we're going to pass out palms to you guys. But in verse nine of chapter seven, it says this. All right. And we're, we're in revelations, which is the last book of the Bible. Uh, we're going to chapter seven, verse nine. And it says, after this, I looked, and this is, this is a, an image into what worship will look like in the presence of God, all people. This is an image of, of all of his, all people together from a variety of nationalities, backgrounds. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, Standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with what? With palm branches in their hands. You see, this is this is connecting us back to the temple and the beautiful wisdom of a holy God. But connecting us to how someday we will all be praising and celebrating this God. I don't care what nation you're from. I don't care about your background. I don't care about what language you speak. There's going to be one voice proclaiming God. And one of the things that we'll be holding is a palm branch. Huh? Palm branch. So let that image of the palm then and now be something that spurs on our worship. You don't have you don't have to wait till you get to heaven. You don't have to wait until you're around everybody that's different. You can start praising him now. And so then in verse nine and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. You see that that term literally means to save. But by the point of this being written, it meant it meant God's salvation. All right. So now when you're saying Hosanna in the highest as as a person, like what what's the highest place that you can imagine? I'm actually going to let y'all answer that. What's the highest place that you can imagine? Everest. Outside, what'd you say? Mount Sinai. Pluto. Okay, we going big on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's one that's even higher in the minds of the writers during this day. And it was heaven. It was that of heaven. And so literally, what 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 it's what Hosanna in the highest means is is God's salvation in the heavens. It's saying like we submit 
to God's work in the heavens. Meaning we want what happens here on earth to agree with what's happening here in heaven. All right. So when you're talking about peace, Lord, your peace in heaven, let us experience that on earth. Lord, your salvation in heaven, let us experience that here on earth. And you, like me, we're a people who long to see what's happening in heaven, the peace that is there to infiltrate, to break through, to change our experience today. We long for it. We wait with joy knowing that it will happen. At the same time, we still got pains. We still have hurts. And so as they're celebrating this king, they're saying, man, we agree with the heavens that salvation is going to happen. It's going to happen through you, Jesus. But they, but, but they missed it. But they missed it. Because family, not even the disciples fully understood the worship they were giving Jesus. And so the people of that day, the people of that day were oppressed, they were angry, and they were mad at the government. All right? So anytime a new government came in, they continued to be kicked, stumped, spit on. Bless you. This new Jesus, though, they're like, finally, we get a king on our team. We've been beat up so much, kicked so much. Now our king going to get y'all. Mm-hmm. You thought you could handle us. Wait, our king is going to stomp you. So now the people, they are expecting this king to, from the heavens to allow his salvation to come forth, but not come forth with the mindset of peace. No, they didn't get that donkey illusion. They're still believing in the war horse. They're still believing he's going to come through with a mighty hand and punish those that have hurt the people of Israel. So while they're praising, their motivation is off. And I've seen that in my own life, and you've seen that in your own life, where you ask the Lord for something. You ask him dearly for something. And, uh, And you want him to come through, but you want him to come through on your terms. You want him to answer your request, okay? Get me this job. Do this thing. I don't don't think I've shared this before, but um, it's been a real long time. Uh, When Rebecca and I were in seminary, a guy that I went to school with um, in high school was my a neighbor across the street. We weren't crazy close, but we were pretty cool. And uh, over time, we got a lot closer. Fast forward, I graduate school, I come back, I'm living for the Lord. And uh, this, this dude is living for the Lord too. And he starts growing. And before I know it, we sharpening each other. And like our friendship just goes crazy. Well, when I get reconnected with him after college, I come to find out that he has, bless you, you come to find out he has lupus. And lupus is a disease, uh, from my understanding, where your body begins to attack your organs. And so his kidneys were attacked. And uh, over time, uh, this good friend of mine uh, ended up on dialysis. 
And he was on dialysis for a very long time. And he had a number of issues that happened with him on dialysis. And so he said to me, Leon, like, I believe God's going to heal me. And I'm like, well, man, yeah, he, okay, I believe it too. And he's like, he's going to heal me miraculously, though. That's the way it's going to happen. It's going down. So I'm not interested in anything else. I remember saying to him, man, like, but what if God wants to use people? What if he wants to use uh, medicine? What if he wants to use donor to heal you? So, uh, the Lord was talking to me. And through a long journey, he didn't have any matches. And I ended up being a perfect match. So I donated my kidney to him. And Jerome became healthy. And he lived a life that was like fervent again. I mean, he loved the Lord, man. And uh, love the Lord. But it's, 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 it's something like to see a person love the Lord, but they're just carrying like a whole semi-trailer with them as they love the Lord. And this kidney just like freedom. And he just, he, it was just a, a, a different burden that was still loving the Lord. It was like he just was freed up and wasn't carrying that anymore. And so we saw his family members like, Lord, heal my son. Heal my friend. Heal my cousin. You know, people reaching out for the Lord to do a healing. And then Jerome got healed. And you slowly started seeing lives kind of just go back to that same old. Man, you did the miracle. But what we didn't see was that the the real aim was for our hearts to be drawn to Jesus because of the miracle. Unfortunately, my, my good friend, a year later, he had a blood clot develop in his leg. And he passed away. He passed away. And um, we saw like those that had loved Christ in the midst of that. Or had come to Christ in the midst of that. We saw people grow. We saw people hurting. But still clinging to Jesus. But then we saw some. Who just wanted God. For Jerome's miracle. Man. We saw the turmoil that they were going through. And it was devastating. To this day. There are some that just lives. Just aren't the same anymore. Because of his passing. A family, a a heart that wants the king to respond to an immediate need versus the king to transform our hearts. See, Jesus isn't saying only, yeah, I'm going to be your king. I'm going to come in. Yes, you see me as one that is of royalty, but you're missing it if you praise me just for what I can do and not for who I am. Not for who I am. Why? Because I want you in that picture of Revelation 7, 9. I want you to be praising with all nations. Holding these palms. That's of greater value to me than even healing you right now. That's of greater value to me than me coming in triumphant over the the people of Rome. I care less about them. I want your hearts. 
So if you have, as you have this palm, this palm is to, to symbolize worship. It's to symbolize a people celebrating. It's to symbolize a people who said, man, this Jesus is one of royalty. He's one that I, I should submit to. But there may clearly be some of us in here who were like the people during that day. Who praised him with their lips. Praised him with our tongues. Praised him with, with words of affirmation. But then when we don't get what we expect. Oh man, our tongues can turn from praise to punishment. From celebration to crucify him. You see, this is the beginning of a week where we look to what Jesus does on the cross. And not all of the people who are praising him will be the ones that crucify, who say crucify him. But some of them are. Some of them are the people who who just said, I can't wait for you to celebrate and change my whole experience. My whole life's going to be transformed now. All the external things are going to be different because I'm submitting to you as a king, right? My people who are believers in this room, you know that's not the truth. You know that you can choose to serve Jesus and things actually get worse. You actually get challenged more. You actually get called out because of your faith and people hate you. And so as we are on this, this Palm Sunday, I want to leave you with an image, okay? My, uh, my grandfather was a police officer in Pittsburgh. And he, uh, he told all of my uncles, uh, and my uncles are now between 60 and 70. Uh, so this was their dad. He told them during an era of extreme racial tension, when a police officer pulls you over or a police officer stops you to talk to you, you have your hands out the car or you have your hands raised while you talk to them. It's an image of complete surrender. Okay. As you came in today and we were celebrating Jesus and we were singing songs. You guys had your hands up doing that same posture, a posture of complete surrender, complete surrender. Well, that's what this palm branch is supposed to demonstrate. Okay. So everybody, could you stand up for a moment? And I want you to take your palm branch and start waving it. All right? Now look around. I'm trying to engage your, your body too because some of y'all done fell asleep on me. All right. Look around. This, this is the image that I want in your mind of a people who are saying, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest, that we agree with heaven, that God of all things is our salvation. And that salvation is going to break into this world, but not with the not with a, a introducing into this world of power, but one of peace. All right. So let us pray together. Lord, we do indeed submit to your ways. And Lord, you are. Our great, our great salvation. So we can say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. For Lord, you have entered into this world and allowed your salvation to be present and for us to experience it. 
But Lord, we can be tempted. We can be tempted to want you for the things you do and not for the God that you are. Lord, when that is our, when that is the way we approach you, when that is our motivation, reveal it. Reveal it, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would help those, even to this day, those friends of mine and family, Lord, that are mourning Jerome's loss. But Lord, each of us have life expectations where we expect you to do a work and it doesn't work out that way. And then we, we, we want to blame you or get mad at you or get angry. Lord, let us repent of that. Let us submit fully to your will and trust that you are our sovereign God that blows our expectations out the water. You don't come to meet our expectations. You come to humble us. But then in humbling us, you exceed our expectations, Lord. So we are so thankful for you. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray.